Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast, the History Mystery Podcast, and I'm your host, Alex. So, in the previous episode, we went over the first part of the Richard Ramirez case. And just to recap, we just went over, like, his past and his first few crimes. So, this is going to be a three-part series, three-part episode, actually. And when I do focus on bigger cases like the serial killers and maybe more other historical cases, they're going to be, like, multiple parts because I just can't fit in everything in, like, one thing because I only have the X amount of time. And I think it's much more easier for me to do so. So let's just get back into it. And, okay. So on the night of... July 2nd, 1985, Richard drove his stolen car to Arcadia, California. And Arcadia is a quite a big city, but it's very safe and a very wonderful place to go visit. It's really beautiful. You have a lot of beautiful sights, and it's moderately a rich, wealthy area. So he randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, a 75-year-old grandmother. And he entered the house quietly and undetected as always through the window and found her asleep in her bedroom. He then beat her up and bludgeoned her unconscious with a lamp that he found in her room and stabbed her using a butcher knife that he found in her kitchen. After a while, she died and he left the house undetected as always then the next morning he was found she was found dead so actually the next day Richard committed another crime and this time it's a little different because it was sadly against a 16 year old girl and this girl was named Whitney Bennett so Whitney was just staying at home you know um and on July Fifth in 1985, it all happened in 85. She was at home, you know, sleeping, and all of a sudden, Richard just burst through her door. And I guess for some reason, decided to target her. I don't know why she was so young, but she started to he started to beat her up, and he actually tried to strangle her when she was getting weaker and couldn't really fight back. He thought that would finish her off. So then the cord actually sparked for some reason. I guess there is like some electrical damage. I don't know for sure. But he actually just stopped and got terrified from the sparking of the cord because he thought it was a divine intervention from heaven. Like, I guess he thought God stepped in or Jesus stepped in and like saved her life. And that's kind of weird because um, he was a Satanist and Satanist, um, especially loving Satanism, they're pretty much atheists. They they follow a lot of atheistic, um, I guess, views. It's they don't really believe in a god or the devil. It's just it's pretty much atheism. It's just a branch of I suppose. I'm not I'm not a Satanist. Um, I this is this is what I could find online, and um, yeah, that's that's what. That's what's really strange about that part. 
So she actually survived the attack, but just barely. And she needed around actually almost 500 stitches, which is a lot. But the police were so happy that she was alive and everybody was too. Her family was very grateful and stuff. You know, it was just awful that he went after a innocent 16-year-old girl. So, not even two days later, on July 7th, Richard broke into the house of Joyce Nelson while she was asleep. He actually beat her to death and, like, stomped on her face and left a shoe print on her. And this shoe print was a size men's 11 and a half Avia's sneaker. And getting back to, the, to, like, a few cases before, like, a few, his previous, his previous attack on um, the... Zazarios, you see the shoe print right then on the planter, I guess. So the police took a mark of it. They took, like, I guess, a cast, and they matched it within this print, and they they knew at this point they most likely had a repeated offender. And, um, yeah, this, as as I said before, um, this shoe print is, like, a really huge piece of evidence that tie these cases together, so... They knew that this man um, who killed the Zazarios also killed um, Joyce Nelson. So he went to another neighborhood, at, I believe on the same night, and um, broke into the home of Sophie Dickinson. He raped her and beat her and stole her valuables, like the money and stuff. And she forced her to swear to Satan that she had nothing else of value. So then again, this is just another way to like freak her out and get her nervous and scared because she's already that scared. But um, yeah, I guess he's just trying to tie in his, sat- his satanic, um, I guess, views, you know, which is so scary. I can't imagine being in her situation. And she was so incredibly brave and strong. So, his next crime was on July the 20th. And this is one of her, this is one of his last crimes, actually. Not the last, but one of. So, Richard purchased a machete for some reason before driving a stolen car, a Toyota, to Glendale, California. And he sold a lot of cars in his time. He decided to break into the home of Le- Leah Needing, who was 66, and her husband, Maxon, who was 68. And he just burst in the room where they're, like, sleeping and just, like, pretty much killed them with machete. He hacked them to death, and then both he both shot them in the head with his twenty two. So he, I guess he used both for some reason. I don't know why. I, I, I assume that he thought they were not dead. And he wanted to make sure that they were dead. But, you know, it's kind of strange. And he then mutilated their bodies with a machete and then just ransacked their house. So he was, there is a pattern here. He, he, he usually went after the males first. He wanted to kill the males first and then have his way with the women and um then kill them or try to kill them afterwards so it was definitely a pattern 
and police kind of realized that. So after he um, left the house, he drove over to um, Sun Valley, California, and he broke into the house of the Kenovit family, and he shot um, Chai Nirong Kenovit in the head with a 25 caliber, and that killed him right away. So he didn't suffer, but he used a different gun. Then he went after his wife, um, some kid, and raped and beat her. He, he actually, there was actually the child, their son, and he was eight, and he, he decided, he was hearing all this commotion in the room and decided to get up and figure out what, what was going on, you know? And, um, he, uh, said, I guess he, like, saw, like, Richard and got terrified and made, like, a noise or something, so Richard was obviously angry at, about, at seeing that there's a potential witness, so he got the little boy and then tied him up and threw him in the closet and stuff and made him swear to Satan, This the eight-year-old, he made him swear to Satan that he wouldn't make a noise. So then he grabbed some kid and dragged her around the house and made her tell where all the expensive stuff were, like all the VCRs, money, jewelry, you know, the stuff that can buy him, you know, like get him cars or whatever he needed or wanted, you know. And then he demanded, after she was dragged around the house every times, that she would swear to Satan that he was, she was not hiding any money or any valuables from him. And then he left. They eventually got free, but, um, yeah, it was just her husband that passed away. On August 6th, um, Richard drove her to Northridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He crept in their bedroom and scared Virginia, who was 27 years old, and shot her in the face with a 25 caliber and then shot Chris um, in the neck, and he tried to, like, run away. But Chris fought back and tried to, like, he actually dodged two um, shots from his, from Richard's gun. So, but he did get shot. He just dodged two of them. And he was, you know, he was fighting back, and he thought he could win, but, like, um, Richard was had, had the gun on him but he managed to like escape and Richard ran off. But they were hurt. But luckily they did survive their injuries. So the next crime was on August 8th and Richard drove a car that was stolen to Diamond Bar and um, he chose a home to Invade of Sakina Abelwith, who was 27, and her husband Elias, who was 31. Summertime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and walked into their bedroom. 
and just shot Elias right away. And he used his 25 caliber handgun. He then handcuffed Sakina and made her reveal all where all the jewelry is and all the expensive stuff. And then he assaulted her and made her um, swore on Satan that she, he w- that she would not cry out for help during the assaults. The Their little um, son, who was actually three, went in the room and Richard actually tied him up and then, you know, kept on assaulting Sakina. But he left and Sakina managed to have her son untie himself and go to the neighbors for help. And called the police. So police were like obviously nervous. They they knew they had a repeat offender on their hands, and that this man is going to try to hurt more people if they didn't get him um, caught fast enough. So they're working so hard and trying so hard to figure out who this was. But they had they didn't have that much that we have today. But they, they had, like, some pieces of evidence that can serve. So, on August 24th, Richard drove down to Mission Viejo, and he saw a house and decided to kind of, like, stock it out, I guess. But, actually, a, um, a 13-year-old boy by the name of James Romero Jr. was awake after his family went down to, I guess, another city. You know, he he just couldn't, like, go back to sleep. So he was past his bedtime just, like, you know, staying up, I guess, laying down or whatever. But he saw um, a car outside, and he thought that was kind of strange. So he decided to get up, and he saw Richard, like, wandering around in the yard trying to find a way to get in so he actually managed to get a good description of the car and this description um will actually like serve a good purpose because this kind of was a this this was this boy's actions would lead to a good break in the case so he told his parents and his parents like you know called the cops but Richard got startled and, like, left, but he managed to get a description, which is, like, an orange Toyota, and he noticed the color, the model, and even the partially of a license plate, so they, they had a good um, understanding of what he was driving, and he later said that he, pro- he probably knew this is a Night Stalker. So then he left, you know, after he left the house, he drove a few streets down and went to the house of Bill Carnes and Ennis Erickson. Um, Richard entered the house and just awakened Bill when he, I guess, cocked his 25 caliber handgun, if that's a proper terminology. And then he just shot Bill three times in the head and he turned his attention to Inez and he started to beat her up and saying that um he's trying to like talk her and saying that he was a night stalker he's saying I'm the night stalker I'm the one you've been hearing on the news this is who I am this is me you know he was just scaring her and she made 
he made him um he made her swear that she loved Satan and she would devote her life to him and stuff. So that's just another reason for her to get more terrified. He likes he liked to scare people, that's why he he liked the attention, that's what he, you know, wanted. Afterwards he beat her up and um tied her up. He stole what like what what they had available, like the jewelry and stuff, and just assaulted her again. He made her swear to Satan that there wasn't any more things that he could steal because he stole a lot of things at this point. But, you know, she said that, no, there's nothing. You could go now. Please just go, you know. But right before he left, he turned around and said, tell them that the Night Stalker was here. Inez managed to entire herself and um, actually ran down to a neighbor's house for help and, like, to call the police, and thankfully, um, Bill actually survived. The surgeons managed to get like two bullets out of the three out of his head, and he he was fine. He of course had damage, but he did not die, so that's really good. But um, yeah, at this point, everybody was terrified. Like it was just everyone was terrified at this point. So, there is a lot of things that Los Angeles area did to prepare for another attack because police are saying that this man is dangerous. He targeted a lot of people. He couldn't, anyone could be the next victim of the Night Stalker, even though his victims are mainly like, they're kind of scattered around. You see a lot of people in their 20s, a lot of people in their elderly years. You see some, you see a 16 year old girl. She was a teenager. She was, Nearly my age, pretty much. Um, so, gun sales went up, like, by, I don't know how many percent, but it's a huge percent. There's a lot of self-defense classes opening 24-7, you know. Guard dogs are being bought and trained. And Iron Fence businesses rocketed, like, if you go down to Los Angeles, you see a lot of fences that are, like, iron fences and a lot of iron bars near windows. And some of them were from that era because people were so terrified. So Richard actually was following the crimes. He was following the news media and from his hotel room, I guess. I don't know. So he liked the attention, but, you know, he felt that the police were very onto him and he wanted to get out of the heat, you know? So he decided that this is a little too much. I'm just going to, like, lay low for a bit, you know? So he decided to leave Los Angeles and head up to San Francisco, California, which is another city, another huge city in California, but it's about a seven to eight hour drive. And when I went up there, when I went up to San Francisco, that was a long, long time ago, but that was around an eight hour drive. So pretty far from Los Angeles, but he didn't, he decided to not stop killing and hurting people then and there. He decided to, you know, still kill people, just not in Los Angeles area, you know? So, he entered the home on August 18th of 1985, and this home belonged to Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot Peter, who was 66, with the 25 in the head, killing him instantly. 
Then he turned his attention over to Barbara, his wife, who was 62, and started beating her and insulting her. So, of course, kill the man first and go on to the wife. That's just what he, that's what he does, you know? And then he actually shot her in the head and that killed her instantly. But at the crime scene, something interesting happened. Um, Richard used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram on the wall and their phrase, Jack the Knife. So the police obviously got called for this and um, they're like terrified. They thought maybe the Night Stalker came over here and it was proven that the Night Stalker was in San Francisco, California because the ballistics matched um, the crime scenes in Los Angeles. And there's also shoe print evidence from the crime scenes in Los Angeles. Everything matched up. The cops knew this is the same guy. He's now just in San Francisco. And um, it was... um, I guess the police decided to have a press conference to try to talk to the public. And um, San, San Francisco's mayor, who was Diane Feinstein at the time, decided to pretty much spill the beans and tell everybody, the whole entire public, about what was going on. And she she, she pretty much just gave all the evidence that the police had collected and just gave it out to the public. And that was not a very good decision. And the police did not like that because this evidence was pretty much the only evidence they had. And it could be easily tampered with. Um, they could have, the killer could have pretty much just bought new shoes, got a new gun, used a different method. So it was pretty much all the information was down the drain. And um, she actually gave out what gun he used. And one of the most famous quotes after the print press conference a cop said there goes a gun into the bay and he actually didn't drop his gun he dropped his shoes but not his gun and that the bay he's referring to was the san francisco bay under the golden gate bridge and um if you see anything related to california it's a bridge it's usually the bridge or the skyscrapers in los angeles and stuff so um that's that's for my non California listeners, <laughs> but um, he decided to stay in San Francisco a couple more nights, a couple more days, and he was like, you know what? The I guess the the media kind of you know calmed down. I could be anywhere, so he decided to head back to Los Angeles and escape California from Los Angeles because he. He just thought that it was the heat was on. He knew that he was gonna get caught. I'm pretty sure. Like the cops were so close to finding who this was. So he decided to go visit his brother in Arizona, which is not too far from California. It's like a couple hour, like eight hour drive, depending on where you're going. But more or less, he just decided to leave for a few days, I guess. But he actually went for for a day trip. So he went to the Greyhound bus station and boarded the bus. Spent a while there, not too long. And, you know, just, I guess, enjoyed himself. And nobody knew at the time that he was a night soccer. His family did have, had no idea. 
they just thought that he was doing drugs in Los Angeles because he did do a lot of drugs, and it, it increased in Los Angeles his drug usage. So um, while he was in Arizona, the police managed to find the car that um, James Romero the third was referring to, and um, they did find a fingerprint. And that fingerprint led to um, a picture of Richard. Um, remember, this is in the 80s, mid-80s, so they had really bad, like, compared to nowadays. Um, they didn't have really good technology, and it took, like, a long time for fingerprints to come out, and you had to be actually registered in the county system, I believe, to match a fingerprint. But they found a fingerprint, and it did match Richard. And after discussing with some other people, they said, this is our guy. We believe this is our man. So the next day, Richard's picture was printed in every single newspaper and even Los Angeles Times, which is such a big newspaper in California and one of the biggest in the country. And he was front page. He was on every news station. Everybody knew who this man was, except for Richard. He did not know that he was pretty much a goner. So... He actually went back to the bus station and saw a lot of police presence. And he did not know that was actually for him. He just got kind of nervous, but that's all I'm going to leave you on right now. So you enjoy your day. Stay safe and stay healthy. And I will come out with the third and final episode of this series. Have a good day.